You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hello, welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hey. Hey, guys. You guys uh, you guys took a trip for this one, as I understand it. Yeah. Caught a jet plane. <laughs> <laughs> we went back to Pittsburgh, our home away from home, the University of Pittsburgh. This is the fifth live podcast that we have taped in Pittsburgh. And it's all part of the Pitt Writers Program. Yeah, Pitt Writers, they've supported Longform for a long time, and, and uh, once a year, Aaron and I go there and hang out with the writing students and Jean-Marie Laskus, who runs the program. And, uh, and we got do... this little tiny donut. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron did get a little tiny donut. We got there, and like within 45 minutes, had eaten the biggest breakfast I've eaten in 2017. Yeah. The way people eat in Pittsburgh is insane. <laughs> for $5 in Pittsburgh, you can get more food than you can get for $20 in New York. But the donuts are small? Uh, this was like a place that like made conveyor belt style little tiny donuts that you could have frosted in any way you saw fit. I took a picture of Aaron outside the donut shop. We'll put it in the show notes. Check, check my gram for that. So then after that, yeah. also, you did a podcast. We did, we did a podcast interview. We did. I interviewed Sarah Menkedick, who has a new book out. Uh, it's called Homing Instincts. She's also the founder of uh, Vela magazine, and she's a graduate. That was, to me, what was the most interesting about this uh, interview, which I saw from the fan's eye view. I uh, was incognito, just like a like a normal citizen watching a live podcast game tape. No one knew who I was. Um, was She talks pretty frankly and extensively about what really happens in a writing program. Like I think people on the show often say, like, oh, I went to a writing program, I had a good time, or I had a terrible time, but not talk specifically about what they learned and what they worked on um, in that program. This book and pretty much all of her work stems out of stuff that she started while she was in this program. Yeah, most of it. I mean, she was also writing for a while before she ended up in Pittsburgh. And she talked about that whole period of time, too. And the, and the common theme, I think, throughout all of her work is uh, like she's a hustler. She's just hustling. And this book, Homing Instincts, that she wrote, it's all about like uh, becoming a mom. And it's great. And part of what makes it great is like she just also wrote this piece in the in the L.A. Times sort of like in advance of the book that was basically about how no one takes that kind of writing seriously. And um, I don't know. I think it's both the book is serious and should be taken that way. And it's pretty awesome to like write an op ed the week before your book comes out. That's just like take this shit seriously. I, I like that article because she uh, quotes twice from the long form podcast in it. It's true. It's true. If you're thinking about writing an op ed. 
There's no better podcast to quote than the long-form podcast. If you're looking to send an email newsletter, you should send it through MailChimp. They make it easy, and they are our sponsors. Thank you, MailChimp. And now here's Max with Sarah Mankadek. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Max. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for doing this live show at Pitt. It's our fifth one, and uh, it's an honor. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I feel good about you being here because historically what we've done is uh, brought in like carpetbaggers from elsewhere. (laughs) And I'm glad finally that we've got someone who actually like understands this place well. The writing department at the University of Pittsburgh understands the people who are listening to this conversation. You uh, are. Can you be like an alumnus of a grad program? I guess. Sure. Yeah. I you, can for this conversation. For our purposes yeah, here. Yeah, yeah great. absolutely. So you went here, but I realized as I was sitting down to prepare for this, I don't know a ton about where you were before this. Yeah, I was sort of all over the place. Yeah, give me the like Sarah writing before Pitt. Where were you at with your writing before you got here? Okay, I always thought I would be an academic, actually. I spent my 20s mostly traveling and sort of taking random jobs overseas and teaching overseas. And then um, at some point in China, so I guess around 2008, 2009, um, I decided that what I really wanted to do was just do the writing part of academia, which I guess not a lot of academics say mostly there, into the research aspect. So I decided to not take another teaching job. I moved back to Mexico with my now husband, who was then my boyfriend who's from Oaxaca. So we moved back to Oaxaca where we'd been living and uh, lived in like a tiny studio apartment for $100 a month. And I just wrote horrible, horrible crap for (laughs) a long time, like two years. And then eventually, like in those two years, I think I wrote one essay that was halfway decent that got me into grad school at Pitt. And I remember talking to my dad at that time and my dad was like, well, it's probably going to take you like five or 10 years before you do anything decent. And I was like, what? And here we are 10 years later. (laughs) So I think that was solid advice. But um, yeah, so then I applied to grad school, I guess, in 2009 and came in 2010. And then, yeah. There's so many things in there I want to ask you about. Like, what were you doing in China? I was teaching writing. I mean, very like five paragraph essay typewriting. Were you writing yourself then? Yeah, horrible, horrible crap again. Like, you know, like blogspot.com, you know, blog (laughs) posts, which, I mean, in retrospect, it was good because I did, I wrote whatever I wanted. I had no notion of like trying to get published or trying to do anything big at that time. I just wrote a whole bunch of terrible stuff. And then I sort of developed, I guess, a sensibility. That doesn't sound horribly prestigious. But I wrote a lot of travel writing, basically, for those first five years, maybe. And that's what I was really interested in, those small sort of like frictions in everyday life and differences. And in China, up to then, everywhere I'd lived, I'd spoken the language, and I felt more or less like integrated, you know, as much as you can possibly be as a foreigner. But in China, I mean, everything was just so radically different and so incomprehensible. And then it was especially fascinating because I was there with Jorge, and up to that point, we'd been like, we have so many cultural differences from different planets. And then we were like, we were from the same culture, basically. (laughs) being in China. So, you know, that was super interesting. So I was just interested in all those like points of tension and all those stories in between cultures. This is a a personal question, but like I wrote for a little while Uh and it also was crap. Uh And then I gave up Uh and I'm interested in writing in China or writing in Oaxaca and you're like putting this stuff out and you don't feel like it's as good as you want it to be or something like, how do you keep going in that 
moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on where you're coming at it from. So if you go into it wanting to be a journalist, I think it's a lot harder to do that because especially I think journalists are really preoccupied with getting paid. <laughs> Obviously, that was a major advantage is that I did very not Very preoccupied expect... with getting paid, yes. not very well. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, I mean, I think that for me in the beginning, I, I wasn't thinking journalism, really. I mean, I was thinking more creative writing, whatever that is. I wasn't even sure what that meant at the mm-hmm. time. But I was willing to basically just feel my way through that. And I did it for a long time for basically no pay. I mean, living overseas for a while. And then I was funded in the MFA, which was a huge advantage. So I just got three more years to basically (laughs) write, you know, crap that got a little less mediocre over time, maybe. (laughs) And sometimes I think that this conversation that's gotten to be a really important conversation for a lot of reasons about writing for free can be a little bit problematic because for me, I mean, I basically wrote for free for five or six years. You know, if you want to define it that way, writing for free. I mean, I wrote for my blog, I wrote a ton of stuff for workshops and I was funded in different ways. But I think I needed to do that to get to the point where someone was actually going to pay me to like write an essay about gestating walruses or whatever, you know? I mean, if you want Well, it's definitely definitely like helpful if you're going to do the writing for free route to take the like $100 studio in Oaxaca and not the like $4,000 studio in, you know, Bushwick or something. Yeah. And I'm not saying that will work for everyone, but I do feel like I needed to do that for a while to just figure out what worked and what didn't and to sort of, you know, find my voice or whatever. Um, And then, you know, and then also, I mean, the the grad program was really huge for that because I was in a place where everybody's talking about reading and writing all the time and they're critiquing your work. And I was funded and I was able to live off of that. So it was like this period where I could really experiment without feeling that pressure to like be sending stuff out and pitching things and publishing. And by the time I came out of that, then I felt confident enough to say, yeah, I think that this is good enough to, to send to a magazine. Can you remember where that confidence came in? Like, yeah. where? great. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember a distinct moment because I feel like too, as a young writer, like you, you really need that or, and, and maybe this is also a woman thing. I don't know. I needed that permission at some point. Like I felt like maybe there was a period where I felt like this is good and, and this could be something. And um, But I got an email from an editor at Harper's where I'd been an intern and he had found something I'd written online and he was like, I really loved this. You should be writing for us. And this was a year after I'd been an intern there. And I actually emailed Jean Marie and I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And she was like, you pitch him right now. So I did. And I like turned around and I was like, I have this 400 page manuscript just sitting there on my computer. I tend to write really, really long. So, um, so I sent him the whole thing and God love him. He, did Jean Marie tell you to I, do that? I don't, I don't think I ran that past her. Yeah. I won't pin that on Jean Marie. I think that was just me. So, um, I sent it to him and I mean, bless him because he read the entire thing. And, and that Harper story came out of that. And he worked with me on that. And Harper's is amazing for that, for young writers. Like they will really work with you. I'm so tempted to ask you who that is, but I feel like you should not reveal that person's yeah, name or they're no. just going to get like deluged <laughs> with 400 page manuscripts. Yeah. You, you sent a 400 page. Yeah, ma- I did. Had yeah. you, uh, <laughs> like, did you like, consider Gmail undo at any point or? I, w- I think I was like, I have this giant thing. Yeah. Do you want to read it? And he was like, sure. So I sent it to him. Had you pitched it all when you were an intern there? No. That's Mm-mm. not really how the place works. I, I mean, don't know much about that. Like, those yeah, I think you could, you know, and I think I, I took some responsibilities when I was there and I, you know, I 
talk to people, but I definitely didn't feel, I remember thinking, oh my God, I could never do this. This is terrifying. I was in the pitch meetings and you know, you if they talk about the pitches and oh, somebody's done this and oh, we don't need another story about this. And it's like, oh my, it was terrifying. But then once he reached out, it's like, okay, you just do it. I feel like a lot of things in writing are like that. You, you know, you feel terrified and not ready or whatever. And then the moment comes and you just do it because you got to do it. And, Right. Put yourself in a position where you're terrified and yeah, then like, work and out of your terror. I do feel like male writers, you know, for, I feel like they are more willing to do that. Like there's some story, I don't know if it's Chris Jones, one of those Esquire writers, right. Who like just went and knocked on, on some editor's door with a bunch of pizzas and is like, Oh, let me write a story. Like I cannot in a million years imagine doing that. I think it was Chris Jones and donuts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's some <laughs> lore there yeah, around male sure. writers. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I feel like at some point you just, you have to just do it. Where, what, what's like the date there? When, when did that like, that was 2012 and then it took like two years for the story to come out probably because <laughs> it was 400 pages. So it took a lot of editing. Yeah. Um, and how did that change things for you getting a piece in Harper's? I think in a lot of ways, I mean, it changed things because I think it put me on the map a little bit more as a writer, but then I think that was the moment when I was really like, I can do this. Okay. I can, you know, I can do it. And I went through the whole process of, you know, the editing, the fact checking and da, 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 da. And, um, and I had that byline and then I felt way more confident to go around saying, okay, I have this piece and, you know, I just, just pitch other editors and come to them with that story and then, you know, feel confident enough to say, I have this writing that I think is worthwhile for you. And, you know, and then it did sort of build up from there. I have a lot more questions about your writing, but yeah. something happened just before, I guess, the Harper's thing, mm-hmm. which is you started your own publication. Yeah. Uh, and it's called Vela. Yes. Got uh-huh. it right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Right? Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I... I was trying to like sort of piece together those years of your life while I was, I was preparing for this and I, I couldn't figure out where in this like hustling writing career MFA program you were like, you know what, I feel like I should probably start a publication. Like how, how did that happen? Yeah, that happened after I was an intern at Harper's because I felt like being in New York was really exciting and I learned a ton at the magazine. But I also came away feeling like the whole publishing world there was very insular and like there was a very specific type of writing that was really salient. And I also felt like, you know, almost everyone I met was a man who was really (laughs) successful. I mean, everybody at the top level. And I was like the only female intern. And so then there was like this group of former Harper's interns who had been the only female intern and we all like bonded over that. And so it was actually a reaction to that. It really was not like a strategic, oh, this would be you know, really strategic publishing thing to do. Although, you know, then eventually that figured into it, but it was more like, I really wanted something that felt like my own. And I think a lot of my writing has fallen in this in-between zone where it's not really like literary magazine writing, you know, like a lot of the writing that would come out of a creative writing program. And it's not really journalism. It's sort of this in-between space. And then I just knew like a handful of other women writers who I, I loved their work and I was friends with them. You know, it was really at the beginning, just the six of us publishing our work and just as like, let's, let's just create a space for the work that we want to write and see what happens from there. And then it really did work because one of those stories that I published on Bella ended up being the one that the Harper's editor read and contacted me about. Um, So that was where they found you. Yeah. Yeah. What was harder about starting your own thing than you realized? 
Oh, God. Well, the beginning, it was fine. Then when we started, we really opened it up for submissions. I mean, everything has been harder from then. It's been great, but it's been so much harder than I anticipated in the beginning because we have had all these moments of like, are we going to keep going? And if we're going to keep going, we got to do this thing that's going to be really huge and time-consuming and stressful. And then we always you know, choose to do that thing, like the Kickstarter. And, you know, there was a point where we realized, like, we're going to have to pay our writers and we're going to have to pay them something decent if we want to keep growing and we want to get these writers that we really want. And so we did that and we ran this big Kickstarter campaign and all of that has been, like, way more exhausting and stressful and, like, complicated than I would have thought at the beginning. But also, you know, super rewarding because now a lot of the original people have left and they've like made their own careers and Bella did for them what it was supposed to do. And that was great. And, you know, same for me. But now we get to publish all of these new writers and great things are happening for them. Um, But yeah, running the magazine has been way more time consuming. Is it a full time job? Um, I mean, yeah, probably should be. We kind of divide it among three people in this like very hectic way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't been doing it for the past year because I had the Fulbright and I was like really busy, I had, like a small child and a billion things going on. Um, and so I had two senior editors running it and they did like an amazing job. Um, but you know, I mean, they, they made a tiny, tiny stipend, which is also really complicated because we got all this funding and we used it all to pay writers. And yet we we do a lot of editing. I mean, we do a lot of intensive editing on our pieces. Mm-hmm. And I've never been paid anything. And they've just been paid like a tiny, tiny amount. So it's like, you know, all of that budgeting, as anyone I'm sure would tell you, is extremely complicated. And we got into that now. And I, I think we didn't have an idea of how stressful that was going to be because we were like, we're going to pay writers and we're going to work it out. And we have, but now we kind of need somebody whose entire job is just to run that side of things. Mm -hmm. And we all really are just focused on the editorial side of things. So you've never taken any money out of it. No. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, that sometimes like I have, I feel like I have a little, a little beef with the whole writing for free conversation (laughs) that like probably is going (laughs) to get me into trouble. But I do feel like there is a certain point at which, you know, it can be frustrating when you get all these people writing you saying, oh, do you pay writers and how much you pay writers with like 10 grammar errors in their email. And you're like, oh, you know, like I feel like there comes a point when like, if you want to be paid for a really good essay, it has to be a really good essay. Like you have to make sure you're at that point in your career where that's something that's worthy of decent payment. Maybe that's extremely controversial to say that, but you know, that's been frustrating as we've gone along as it's incredibly time consuming to, to try and get that funding and then to maintain that funding. On the other hand, you know, like I'm at the point in my career where I wouldn't do something. Probably I wouldn't mm-hmm. write for free. Right. So you know, you'd only run a magazine for free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. That's that is the paradox <laughs> that I need to write about at some point. Yeah. It's really weird. Hey, I'm going to pause things here for a quick word from our sponsor, Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. That's where Blue Apron comes in. They bring you the ingredients straight to your door. You make delicious meals that are super easy to put together, courtesy of over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the USA. It's no wonder that they are number one in fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. These meals come to you for less than 10 bucks a meal. And you're wondering, what are the meals? Because that's all I really care about. That's all I care about. Okay. 
spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salada, sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice, baby broccoli and fontini paninis with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash longform. You will love how good it feels and tastes and what it does for your life. That's again, blueapron.com slash longform. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, so uh, get an MFA. You're writing for Harper's, Mm -hmm. Oxford American. Mm -hmm. These like pieces keep coming out. And then at some point in here, also you wrote a book. Yeah. And it comes out next week. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Insane. Thank you. Yeah. When did you do that? <laughs> I did that um, after my child was born <laughs> or during, you know, during pregnancy and afterwards, I guess. So, um, yeah, while I was pregnant, I read a lot of these books about pregnancy and motherhood. And I remember going to the bookstore with my mom and going to like the parenting section. And it was just, you know, what to expect when you're expecting and like Dr. Spock. I mean, there was just... I couldn't find anything, any sort of literature of motherhood. You know, I found like the Louise Erdrich and and Anne Wright and a few other things and Adrian Rich and like that was really it. And you know, now more and more people are recommending things to me, but it just didn't seem like there was any canon of literature about motherhood. And so, I mean, that's not where the book came from, but that was part of it. Like when I found those books, they were so huge for me to read really beautiful, powerful, compelling writing about motherhood. It was like, oh, this is a really intense, profound experience, which anybody who's been pregnant and had a child will tell you. But I didn't really see that reflected. And as a culture, I don't think we think about it that way. So I just started writing essays about the experience. And then I realized, like, yeah, this is a book. And it was so ironic because, like, everything that I'd written up to that point had been about, like, travel and Borneo. And then it was like, oh, here's my book. And it's going to be about, like, sitting on a cabin porch in Ohio. So You just published an op-ed in the Los Angeles Times that's sort of about what you're talking about, which is, like, trying to push back on the idea that writing about motherhood is somehow, like, doesn't count as literature or art. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, and I've gotten so many responses from people who are just like, oh, thank you. Because I, I constantly feel the need to apologize for my work that relates to that, you know, poets or, or fiction writers and nonfiction writers, just like feeling like that is something that they can't take seriously in certain contexts, like they can other work. And I think that's part of a larger way that, that personal writing sometimes gets dismissed or portrayed. I mean, which is a lot of like what you guys do on Vela too. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, and, and I think that obviously there is a lot of sort of not so great mediocre personal writing, but I also think there's a lot of not so great journalism. There's a lot of not so great any type of writing, you know? So I think that the way that personal writing is sometimes dismissed feels gendered, you know? Um, And so that's what the LA times piece was about. And also feeling like, just sensing immediately when I say, oh, my book's about motherhood, you know, and it's like, oh, the, the immediate reaction, you know, of like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, that's you so know? cute. That's great. Yeah. And, um, and taking some time off. huh? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I really wanted, I, you know, I felt like, and I felt like I was playing into that every time I was like, but really it's a good book, you know, it's well, really serious. Part of what I loved about that op-ed is that it, it reads like, um, 
the opposite of that apology. It reads basically like, I don't think I've ever read something like that, like right before a book comes out that just like, fuck you, this book is good. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like, uh, it's such a baller move. I love it. Uh, you know, th- this thing happens when you prepare for these interviews where you read a whole bunch of stuff right in a row that was written, you know, years and years apart. And like reading that and your manifesto for Vela, there's a connection between yeah. those things, which yeah. is just kind of like, I'm just not going to like play in whatever story you would like me to play it. Like, I'm not going to apologize for this book. Fuck you. And I'm not going to like necessarily play like your magazine game either. I'm going to do my own thing, which I think is, uh, is awesome. That's not a question. I just think that's awesome. Oh, thanks. (laughs) But can we get back just quickly to like the other point you're making there, which is, is about, um, it's not just personal writing. Like there is a gender aspect to this, which is why I think like motherhood is such an easy thing to sort of um, not take seriously. Yeah. And I wonder in the writing, if you have that idea in your head as you're writing those essays, like how how that manifests on the page. Um, I mean, I don't think that I had that idea. Like I think that what, you know, makes the book so powerful for me, especially looking back on it now, is I really did write it in the heat of those moments, you know, and I don't, like, I don't think I could have written it now, you know, when my daughter is three and it feels like I live in a totally different universe, as you know, having kids, it's like, you you know, every month could be a different universe, yeah. you know, but especially now toddlerhood versus Yeah, if you could of, just, like, write a book about what it's like to live with an insane tiny person, yeah, that'd be very helpful for me. that would not be happening now. There's no, <laughs> you know, writing is happening in little tiny spurts, but yeah, I mean, I feel like I was just so absorbed in in that moment. And I also feel like that was like, I was in such a unique place. I mean, I was living in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. I had no iPhone, which now I'm realizing is a big thing. Like I had, you know, I was not really on the internet that much. I was just sort of in this zone, like this really singular zone. And, um, and the writing really came out of that, you know? So he wasn't really thinking at all. And I think that's, that's how it became a book was because I just... I, I know that sounds so terribly cliche, but like I, I really needed to write it. You know, I just, <laughs> I did. And I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about its positioning at all. And I didn't really care, you know, and that's the similar thing with Vela. Like, I think that when I started it, it wasn't like I didn't care, but that demystification was like, now nah, if I'm going to keep writing, there has to be something else mm-hmm. beyond just whether or not I'm published or whether I'm published here. And I think it was a similar thing with this book of like, I'd also been rejected like a ton of times. I mean, I had that 400 page thing that never became a book. And, you know, so there were plenty of like epic rejections that felt catastrophic and whatever. And I'd sort of arrived at this point where I was like, I'm living in my parents' cabin and I'm pregnant. So whatever, you know, fuck it. Like I'm going to write whatever I want to write. If I want to write about waiting, I'm going to write about waiting. And I just did, you did that. You did make moving back in with your parents seem like about as romantic as I can imagine. <laughs> It was kind of romantic, you know? I mean, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm romanticizing it now, probably. But, I mean, I think, like, I just wrote it because I really needed to write it. And then, of course, that was the one that worked out after <laughs> all the years of, like, being so attached to these projects and having them fail, you know? There's another thing going on in that. There's another tension, which is, I think, is mirrored in your writing, which is, like, you had spent your 20s living all over the world, mm-hmm. like, running around, having adventures. And you, that was also, like, what you were writing about. Yeah. And in one of the pieces, like you're taking a pregnancy test and it's like either I'm going to do this or where was the other place you were going to go? Oh, Africa or Burma or yeah, something like that. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. It was like motherhood or Burma. Yeah. Um, and, and the writing kind of mirrors that too. Like 
you know, like your life turned inward and your writing turned inward. And um, did you feel like your writing changed at all? Like, do those pieces feel different to you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I had, even when I was here at Pitt, I remember feeling like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I'm just going to be like this boring grad student, you know, like living in a little crappy apartment in Pittsburgh and like, I'm not going to have anything to write about. Like it seemed so important. To, just like, for the record, I find everyone here very interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's the next book is the Pitt <laughs> MFA reveal. But, um, no, I mean, I just thought uh, I was so used to like, I needed to like go outside and have some sort of experience to be able to write. And and I think this book was the first time where I was like, actually, I can just think, although maybe readers are going to be like, no, <laughs> we'll see if the verdict is out on that. But, you know, I, it, where it was like just the experience of being pregnant was such a crazy mind shifting experience that that was enough. And I think that changed the way that I think about writing. I know that it was like sort of like coming to you and you felt like you had to write it, but was it difficult to write? Yeah, yeah. Because I think that like I wanted to really look at pregnancy and motherhood as like this fascinating intellectual experience. I think no one does, you know, like, oh my God, what's going on with my body and my mind? And I think so much of what we read about is that is literally just like the baby's an eggplant, you know? <laughs> and I, I wanted to be like, oh my God, there's, and I felt like a lot of women shared that sense of like, you know, and, and now my two senior editors at Vela were both pregnant and had babies in the past year. So that was awesome because I got to talk to them about all this stuff. And I think there is, there are some sort of universal changes that are so much more complicated and so interesting and that just I hadn't read anywhere. I hadn't seen it like, you know, Why? sort of expressed. I, I just don't think that. Well, A, I think that if you're a woman writer and you have children, like probably, you know, you're not in the optimum position a lot of the time to like write epic novels about that for all sorts of historical reasons. And, and because I do think a lot of women are terrified of being put in that spot, you know, which again, I'm like, okay, put me in that spot. I would love to write about that. Like, I think there's just so much room there, you know, to do so much interesting writing in that space. Also because I just wanted to feel that experience validated on the page as something really worthy of attention and worthy of like critical intellectual attention, you know? So I wanted to look at it, you know, like I would have looked at culture or travel as something that was like really fascinating and, and complicated and created, you know, full of all these tensions that were worth exploring. I think there's such a demand for that, you know, and I think it is like one of those things too, where it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where people are like, oh, you don't want to write about that because you're going to get put into that space and it's going to be sappy and sentimental and so nobody writes about that and blah, 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 you know. Um, Does the book feel sappy at all to you? No, I hope not. Does it to you? You've read it. No, no, <laughs> okay. definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. But I mean, I like, I wonder... I guess a better way to ask that question is kind of like, what what is it like for you to now go back and read it? Like, what's it like for you to go back and experience that time? Yeah, it's so powerful because, again, at that time just felt, I mean, so distinct. I mean, not only was I, like, pregnant and my life was, like, changing dramatically, but I was, like, living in this in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, it was, like, the closest coffee shop was, like, a two-hour drive away. Like, <laughs> so that stage of my life just felt so intense and so unique so going back to it now it's like it feels like it's a different planet entirely and just the way that I was thinking and the way that I was like moving through the world was so different and I'm you know I mean now I'm so glad I wrote it for that reason just because it's such 
for me now, it's such a powerful recounting of like those changes in that time. That again, if I, I don't think if I had written it then, and I know some writers are like, you need to give everything like ten years and let it, right. you know, sit in. I mean, if I hadn't written it then, and I, I did a ton of editing and a ton of going over it and and changing things around later. But I think I needed like the heat of that experience and that urgency to write it. And now with it coming out, like you're gonna go on tour and talk to a bunch of people like me you're gonna ask these questions is it is it uh strange at all to like go back to that time yeah it does it feels really weird I mean it also felt like my priorities were so clear at that time like maybe I romanticized it a little bit because I was just doing this writing that I really wanted to do and then I was taking care of my baby and that's all I was doing and it was like it seemed like everything was in its place now I feel like it's it's a lot harder because you know my baby is older she's very opinionated and irrational <laughs> and adorable but you know and she's she's like you know got to be going to school more she's had a nanny now so like I have more time to write like everything feels a lot more jumbled now and, and like trickier to balance than it did at that time like at that time somehow it felt like everything just sort of like flowed together again mm-hmm. I'm probably really romanticizing that like there were a lot of like sleepless nights and the typical right. like baby poop stories and all that but but you know it did feel like like it just that that time had a clarity to it you know Sounds to me like you're about to like go move back in with your parents. I would do that if they would let me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got kicked out eventually. Yeah, they're like, your book is done now. I think, you, you know, it's time you're for you all to right. Go. You got it. Yeah. What, uh, for you, what happens now? Like, what's the like interesting ground for your writing now? Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. What's, I mean, I would love, I, I feel like I do, you know, I want to stay in this zone of, of writing about parenting and motherhood. And I, I want to sort of, I, a, I feel like there's just so much there, that there's so much room there, you know, for really interesting writing that hasn't been done. And and I, you know, this is like 90% of my life. So, I mean, it's where like 90% of my energies are going and that's what I'm thinking about all the time. And I think there's a lot left to say there. At the same time, I've always had kind of this dual identity. Like I also really like journalism and I really like stories about Mexican immigrants, which like doesn't dovetail perfectly with like, you know, motherhood on a farm in Ohio. <laughs> But, um, you know, I really want to keep doing that as well, you know, and I feel like I'm really lucky to have that because they're two like very different skill sets, but they play off of each other. Mm -hmm. And so it's really good to have that like discipline of going to try and write a big magazine story that involves a lot of reporting and interviewing and whatnot. And then also be able to like write a big thinky personal essay, you know. Um, So, I mean, I want to keep balancing the two. I don't. I just feel like it's unfortunate that it has to be like, now you're this type of, now right. you're writing the motherhood books. But at the same time, I want to own that and say, yeah, if I'm going to write about motherhood, I'm going to write about motherhood. And that should be like, great. That's that's freaking awesome. You know? I can tell you, so. I'm, I'm not surprised that that's uh, your instinct. <laughs> I feel like uh, you should just keep, anytime you write about it, you should just like preface it two yeah. weeks before whatever it is comes out with an op-ed in a major newspaper saying like, <laughs> fuck you, what I'm writing is good. It's the make it formula from here on out. Yeah. I think, I think it's the way to do it. Um, Sarah, this is great. Thank you so much for doing this. this yeah, is, I really, thank you. really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor this week was Mickey Capper, and our intern was Courtney Harrell. Thanks to them. Thanks to our sponsors, MailChimp and Blue Apron. And thanks most of all to uh, Sarah Minkadek and everyone else at Pit Writers. Jean Marie Laskus is, uh, she's our best friend. We'll see you next week.
Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com. 